Kelly come and we're going to read all of chapter 3 of James. Chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of bird, beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, may God grant us wisdom from above this morning as we look into his word. You may be seated. Well, we've been looking at this subject of authentic faith as it's presented to us 
in this book of James. And basically the section that we're looking at today and what we looked at last time says that, or tells us that authentic faith will change the way we speak. It'll have a big effect on our mouth. Apart from Christ, we are all people of unclean lips, some worse than others, but all of us have this innate tendency to say things that we shouldn't or speak in ways that we should not. We use this great gift of communication in ways that are displeasing to the one who made us in his image, the one who speaks and gave us the ability to speak. In fact, we're told here from James, he says that although our tongue is very small, yet it can cause great harm because it's set on fire by hell. I I think he wanted us to be startled when we read that and heard that. What he's saying is that if we're not careful with our speech, it will be more devilish than it will be divine, more like Satan than the Son of God. We said last time that sins of the tongue are offenses against the law of love, the law of liberty, and the law of Christ. And James says we all stumble in this area. That means everyone sitting in this room. We all stumble in this area of speech. And by that, by stumbling, he means we're prone to sin so that we must, in this area, we must bridle our tongue. We have to pull the reins in on our tongue or we will sin. If we don't do that, if we don't bridle our tongue, we'll harm other people and bring condemnation upon ourselves. James brings out that this is especially true for a teacher, that they're prone to stumble because they're up in front of people or talking with people a lot about the ways that they should live. So you have to be right in what you say and you have to live up to what you say. These are all things we looked at last time. But the principle, he doesn't just apply this to teachers. He goes on and makes it into a general statement in terms of all of us and the use of our tongue. So as we take up this topic again today, we find this, another startling statement, I think. And that's there in verse 7 and 8. He says that no man can tame the tongue. Now that, that should hit us, you know. No man, no person on the earth can tame the tongue. It's beyond the capabilities 
of humanity to control. And he says, he, he, to make us think about this, he says, now think, think, we've been able, humanity has been able to tame, he says, every species of beast and bird and reptile and creatures of the sea are tamed and have been tamed by the human race. You think about that. You know, God gave us dominion, clear back there in Genesis, over the animal kingdom, and We've been able to tame dogs and cats and horses. You know, think of these wild mustangs. We, people can tame them. Elephants? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? People about sitting on top of an elephant, riding around, poking them a little, and they go this way. Elephants, birds, porpoises, seals, whales. And even some lions and tigers. But James says, who can tame the tongue? We can do all that and we can't tame the tongue. Why is it so untamable? James has already told us one reason, because it's set on fire by hell. There's more going on here than just you talking. Now he tells us something else, a couple of additional things. He says it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. It's restless. What's that mean? Well, it means it's, it's unruly. It's unstable. It's just ready to go out in the wrong way. It's, and he, he says it's a restless evil. And that's the, the point. It's ready to just lash out in an evil way. It's, it's restless, you see. It, it's prone to do this if you just leave it alone. Ready to break out or explode. Just when you think you've got it in control in one area, it breaks out in another. Not only that, he says it's a deadly poison. And James is probably, probably taking his illustration from Psalm 140, verse 3. Let's turn back to that. Psalm 140. He's talking about evil men here and violent men. He says this, They sharpen their tongues as a serpent, poison of a viper is under their lips. The poison of a viper is under their lips. The reason I say that uh, he probably took the thought from here is because we know for sure that Paul did. In Romans chapter 3, let's turn to Romans. Paul uses this Old Testament illustration of Psalm 140 to show the sinfulness of all men, even those that don't have the Bible, even those without the Bible. He says one way you can know that all men are sinful is by their speech. And here's what he says their speech is like. Romans chapter 3 and verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Not a very pleasant picture, but he's saying this is just what mankind's tongue is like. You know, I think it's I think it's interesting that even outside of the, the biblical frame of reference, the tongue of the serpent is considered a symbol of deception and hypocrisy and harmful speech in some of the old westerns that I used to watch. <laughs> the uh, Indians, the Native Americans, would say, white man speak with forked tongue. Well, it's not just white men that speak with forked tongue. The fact is, is that the venom of the serpent comes forth from the human tongue over and over again. And actually, the poison that comes from the tongue is much worse than that that comes from any physical snake. Because not only can it kill the body, it can have eternal consequences. Our words, you see, our words we're talking about, having eternal consequences, not just physical death. So he says, deadly, calls it, says it's full of deadly poison, the tongue. This, these are not pretty pictures. This is not a pleasant thing because we're talking about the sinfulness of mankind, especially as it's manifested in our speech. As an example of this restless evil, this deadly poison, James uses the double way we use our tongue. We use it to praise God and curse people made in the image of God. Let me just give a brief aside here. You see that what he says here is based on the fact that men are made in the image of God. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the image or the likeness of God. Of course, he's going back to Genesis there. But I just want to say something here. It's important to remember that even lost people, unredeemed people, non-Christians, retain something of the image of God. So this verse has tremendous importance in helping us understand how we should view people. If you think back to Genesis chapter 9, we're told that it's wrong to kill another person, to murder another person. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not, they're still made in the image of God. Now, because of the fall, because of our sin, we've, we've lost a lot of manifestations of that image, but it's still, it's still there. And so we need to treat people all people, everyone we meet in the grocery store and everywhere else as someone who is made in the image of God. But here, of course, James is concentrating on our verbal communication with others. That's what he's zeroing in on. And he says that we should not be double-tongued. This doubleness of tongue 
is the theme of verses, the verses 9 through 12. Now I want to try to bring that out. James has already shown how the double-minded person is displeasing to God. Double-minded. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, James says this, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We're not to be double-minded. And actually, he'll deal with this again in chapter 4 when we get there. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talked to us about being double-minded, but here he's talking about being double-tongued, being a double-tongued person. That's also displeasing to God. How's that? Well, how is it that you can bless God and curse people made in the image of God? He says that shows you got a double tongue. Blessing or praising God is one of the greatest uses of human language, our human tongue. It's one of the most wonderful and positive forms of communication. But cursing people is just the opposite. The idea of the curse is to call down God's wrath on someone or some group for what they do. And you have a very good illustration of this in Jesus' own disciples. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Keep your place there in James, but turn to Luke chapter 9. You know that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along very well. And Jesus was traveling with his Jewish disciples, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. And they were going to go through the area where the Samaritans lived. And here's what happened. Jesus sent his disciples ahead as messengers, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. This is verse 53. And they, that is the Samaritans, did not receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. They didn't like anything associated with Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So this idea of calling down God's wrath on other people, the curse. I wanted to expand on this a little bit by just quoting what a a commentator named Douglas Moo said. He said, If praising God is one of the highest forms of speech, cursing people is one of the lowest. The ancient curse was far more than abusive speech. It called on God, in effect, to cut a person off from, from any possible blessing and to consign that person to hell. Jesus prohibited his disciples from cursing others. Indeed, they were to bless those that cursed them. As, Jesus, as James emphasizes, what makes cursing especially evil is that the one whom we pronounce damned has been made in the image of God. So, this idea of of cursing. But I think Jesus is saying here, 
or James is saying here, that we shouldn't just think of this extreme form. Yes, that's an extreme form of angry, abusive speech, and it's a bitter denunciation of another person. But I think, really, he's, he's saying, if we speak like this about people in an abusive way, in a harsh, bitter way, if we speak like that to people who are made in the image of God, we're contradicting any supposed blessing of God that comes from our mouth at another time. It's a contradiction. It's being double-tongued. It may well be that our denunciation of other people, and when we do that, we don't realize what spirit we're of. That's what Jesus told his disciples. You know, Jesus, we brought this out last time, but these are, these are, we've got to let these things hit home. Jesus said, if you call another person a fool in, a, in an angry, mean-spirited way, you're guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. So James wants us to realize that we're being totally inconsistent and deceiving ourselves if we think we can bless God in one breath and turn around and curse people made in the image of God in another breath. If cursing comes out of the same mouth that blessings do, that casts doubt on the reality of any supposed blessing. You just, you just got to say something's wrong here. Such a double tongue shows there's something terribly wrong down on the heart level because a good, a good heart will bring forth good speech. This is what James is trying to bring out here. He gives three illustrations of this from nature. A spring or a, a fountain <clears throat> in the New American Standard, a fig tree, and salt water. The point of each of these is that Good and bad speech cannot come forth from the same source. It just can't happen. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. So he's asking a question here. He says, does... Does a spring bring forth from one opening fresh water and brackish, bitter water? And, of course, the expected answer is no, of course not. Or then he gives another one. Can a fig tree bring forth something contrary to its nature like olives? And, again, the obvious answer is no, it can't happen. Can salt water produce fresh water? The idea is that these things do not bring forth something that is totally contrary to their nature. Bad things cannot consistently produce good things, and good things cannot consistently bring forth bad things. So the mouth will bring forth in accord with what is true about the person. Eventually that will happen. As we said last time, our words are a window into the soul and our true character. A good heart and good words go together. Let's turn to Proverbs 22. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. But notice that little word and is 
is added there. Verse 11, I'm sorry, 22, Proverbs 22:11. He who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious. See, they just go together. He who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious. The king is his friend. A good heart and good words go together. As we've said many times in our examination of this book, James seems to rely heavily upon the teaching of Christ, his brother, in what he says in this letter. And here's what Jesus said. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs, from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. Then he says this, For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. All that, see, he's talking about our speech. He's talking about these uh, fig trees and bad trees and good trees. For his mouth speaks from that which fills fills his heart. Now I wanted to give a couple of illustrations for the children here. First of all, maybe sometimes your mom or dad will stick something like this in your mouth. You ever had one of those in your mouth or something like that? <laughs> well... One of the ways that your mom or dad or a doctor can tell if there's something wrong inside your body is by putting one of these in your mouth. If your temperature is high in your mouth, there's some, something going on in your body, some sickness is taking place. In other words, they can tell something about what's going on inside by putting that thermometer in your mouth. And to me, that's kind of an illustration of what James is saying here. You can tell something about what's happening in a person's life by what comes out of their mouth. Here's another illustration. I have this cup here. Now, you won't be able to see this from where you're sitting, but it says, love is kind on my cup on the outside of the cup. But that doesn't tell you what's on the inside of the cup. Now, my wife put warm water with honey in here. Sweet. That's what you want on the inside of the cup. But you can't tell, just because it says love is kind, on the outside of the cup doesn't tell you what's on the inside of the cup. If I bump that cup, this cup, there's going to be some sweetness come out. But if I had something else in the cup, some bitter substance, and I bump it, what's going to come out then? Something You won't get the sweet honey taste out of that. You get that bitter. Now, the point I want to make here is 
One of the ways we can tell what's on, insi- on the inside is what happens when the cup gets bumped. Doesn't matter if it says love is kind on the outside of the cup. I, I, on the outside of the cup, I can stand here and say love is kind all day long. What happens when I get bumped? What spills out then? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know exactly how to share this, but you know I've been studying this subject here over the last week or so, preparing for this message. And I was in the kitchen by myself, and I was singing, kind of humming and singing along that song, uh, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. I was doing real good. (laughs) And I reached over to grab a knife, and I dropped it. No, that's not a big thing, except my back's been hurting, and I didn't really want to bend over to pick the knife up. And when I, you know, I went from... My faith looks up to thee to saying, we'll call it an unwholesome word. And I thought, this is exactly what James is talking about. This is a double tongue. I go from singing this song of praise, my faith looks up to thee, to some little bump that happens and out comes something that shouldn't have come out. If blessing and cursing, good things and bad things, worship and rotten words both come from our lip, we've got to say, wait a minute here, something's not right. I need to deal with that. Yes. And I think if we take that in terms of our condition, we have to say that a double tongue can actually point back to a double mind and a double heart. At least we can say this for sure. James says, Brothers, sisters, these things ought not to be this way. It shouldn't shouldn't be like that. I was noticing a cross-reference on this subject. We're told in, you don't need to look it up, but we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 8, that deacons, one of the characteristics or marks of a deacon is that they should not be double-tongued. But none of us should be. James wanted the people to which he was writing to examine themselves, especially their speech, and where it is wrong to humble themselves, repent, ask God for grace and wisdom to speak as they ought to speak. This is what he's wanting them to do. He's, I'm bringing this, he's bringing this up so they deal with this. They had a problem. Humble yourself, repent, and look to God for help to change that way of speech. Well, that was James's purpose with those first century Christians. But God saw fit to have this letter included in the New Testament because there's so many important things that he wants his people to recognize and deal with related to the Christian life. So here it is. There it is for us. Right here in this section, he's talking about our speech. And I think he would have us, each one of us, also to examine our words. Does our speech really indicate that God has changed our heart? Or do we have a double tongue? It could be 
Now, I'm talking about if this is something that comes out often in your life, this double tongue. It could be that we still yet have a divided heart. One thing God does when he converts a person is he unites their heart to fear his name. We're not talking about perfection here. Only a, only a renewed heart can produce a consistent Christ-like speech. Only a renewed heart can bring forth consistent Christ-like speech. And I, again, I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about consistency here. So what I'd like to do is take the remainder of our time to briefly have us examine our speech in light of God's Word. And what I've done is I've listed ten categories of speech that are forbidden and ten kinds of speech that are encouraged in the Bible. In other words, the good and bad use of our tongue. And I have them on a handout up front here. So if you want a, a paper copy of what we're going over here, you can come up and get this. But I'm also uh, hopeful that Terry can put them on online. So here, here we go then. What, I, what we're doing here is looking at our speech. And the one, one category is the kind forbidden. The other category is the kind required for the Christian, the kind forbidden and the kind required. We'll start out just in general terms. First of all, we're told that just having a multitude of words is not good. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So the first thing we've got to realize is we do have to restrain this thing. This is what James has been talking about constantly here. Bridle. Bridle the tongue. Pull the reins in on it. Because if you talk too much, transgression is unavoidable. Proverbs 13.3, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. But the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A lot of these, I'll be quoting from the Proverbs a lot here. He who restrains his words has knowledge. This is 1727. He who restrains his words has knowledge. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. So, uh, I mean, this is a major theme here. You've got to restrain that thing. That was number one. Number two, not just with a multitude of words, but with hasty words you're going to get into trouble and sin. Hasty words. And again, Proverbs 29, 20. Do you, see a man, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Don't be hasty in your words. What should we be like? Well, James told us already we should be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. What's that mean? That means you don't just shoot your mouth off. Ponder how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You're going to ponder or pour out? Well, 
We need to ponder. We need to be slow to speak. The next area. Unwholesome, vain, crude, foolish speech. Unwholesome, vain, crude, foolish speech. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. There's a commandment we don't talk about very much. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. He says later on in Ephesians, And there must be no filthy and silly talk, or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And Titus 3.9, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Avoid those unprofitable and worthless conversations. So think of these things, unwholesome words, filthy, silly talk, coarse jesting, foolish controversies. That's all stuff we need to be done with. Rather, what are we to be doing as Christians? What's the kind required? Well, it is edifying and gracious and thankful speech. That's what, that's what should come forth. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, that you may know how you should respond to each person. Always with grace seasoned with salt. Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. 16.24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the body. That's, That's the Christian speech. Number four, this is the kind forbidden, backbiting, gossip, slander, scoffing. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. So we're not supposed to be talebearers. The first you hear something about somebody, whoosh, off you go to tell somebody. That's a talebearer. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals uh, secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. And we're not to be a scoffer. Scoffer. Um, let me just read this one. Proverbs 22.10 says, Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. A lot of the strife and things have to do with a person that's a scoffer. We're not to be scoffers. In fact, we're to drive out the scoffer, he says. So, Backbiting, gossip, slander, scoffing. Romans one twenty eight. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. And slanderers. See, he puts gossip and slander right in with this list of all these murder and strife and things like that. Gossip can murder people spiritually. Slander can do that also. James will deal with this later on. We'll, we'll get to this in chapter 4. He says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. 
He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. That's James 4.11. We'll, we'll deal with that. We'll talk about this thing of judgmentalism. Backbiting, gossip, slander, scoffing. Uh, one of the men that I, I listened to a tape uh, related to this section of Scripture, and he said he thought that gossip and criticism were the predominant sins of the evangelical church. <laughs> I don't know if that's right or not, but it's, if it is, it's quite an indictment. Gossip and criticism. Well, what's, what's our speech? What should our speech be like? If that's what we stay away from, all this gossip and slander and scoffing and backbiting, well, our speech should represent the law of kindness. The law of kindness should be on our lips. That, that, that woman in Proverbs 31, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That's what we want. We want the teaching of kindness. Proverbs 17, 9, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. That's gossip and slander. The law of kindness. Number five, the kind that we should avoid, anger, wrath. Some of these kind of overlap a little bit. Abusive speech. Colossians 3, 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Remember James said, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Slow to anger. Put those things aside. Malice, slander, abusive speech. Our speech, here's what our speech should be like. What, what, as opposed to the anger and abusive speech, we should be teaching and admonishing one another in the things of God, in the truths of God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your heart. There should be thanksgiving in our hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. So thankfulness, admonishing one another in the things of God. A gentle answer, you know. Turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. That's what we should, we should give to one another is that pure milk of the word. Put aside all that malice and anger. One man said, hey, if you have a sharp tongue, You'll cut your own throat. The next category, and we won't spend too much time on this because we've looked at it today, cursing. The kind forbidden is cursing. We don't curse God. We don't curse our parents. We don't curse one another. We don't curse people made in the image of God. What should we do? Well, we should be blessing, giving a blessing instead. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was in me, within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Peter says this, To sum up, let all be harmonious, 
sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. So give a blessing, not cursing. Blessing. All right, number seven, the type that we should not have, the kind that is forbidden in the scriptures, murmuring, grumbling, and complaining. Do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will appear as lights to the world. One of the ways we just can be lights is don't join in that grumbling and complaining. What should our speech be like instead of this grumbling and complaining? Well, we praise God and be thankful. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. That's David in Psalm 119. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even our Father. Always giving thanks. It's not grumbling and complaining. Thankful people. That people will notice. Number eight, the kind forbidden, boasting in self and presumption, which is a form of boasting in yourself. Boasting in self and presumption. Psalm 5, five says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Being boastful is iniquity. You see, God hates all who do iniquity. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. And James says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts. It boasts of great things. So not not being boastful in self. What are we? What is our speech supposed to be like in that area? Well, we're supposed to boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And then this good verse out of Jeremiah nine twenty three. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Yeah, there's a certain kind of a boasting that's good. Boasting in how wonderful God is. How good God is. So, not boasting in self and presumption. Well, one uh, one more on that because uh, James James brings out these things, um, so many of these things. Here's what James says: Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
We're not, we can't boast about what we're going to do. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't even know if you're going to walk out of this building today. Well, not boasting in self, not presumption, but boasting in God and looking to God to order our lives. Number nine, flattery. Flattery is certainly a kind of speech that is forbidden in the scriptures. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. First Thessalonians 2.5 says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. That's Paul saying, We didn't come and try to flatter you into the kingdom because we knew it wouldn't work. It's not God's way. Flattery. Uh, Jude 16 says, These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So this thing of flattery is something we have to stay away from, steer clear of. So what's, what's the Christian speech? Well, we're, we're to be faithful and caring in our exhortations to people. It's not that we don't say anything to people about things we see in their life, but we need to do it in a kind, caring manner. Here's what here's a couple of scriptures on this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So a faithful friend is one who shares with you in kindness things that they really feel like you need to hear. Another proverb here, he who rebukes uh, rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. So we we want to be faithful to one another. We want to show our love by telling people the things that will help them on in the things of God. Faithful, caring exhortation, not flattery. James brings this up really at the end of the whole book. Uh, After he's gone through all of these things, he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we do talk to one another if we see something that we feel is not, uh, not good for that person. Uh, we, we talk to them, but we do it in love and kindness. Well, then lastly, I saved one of the biggest ones to last. The kind forbidden, the kind of speech forbidden is lying, crafty, deceitful speech. This one goes clear back to the garden. That's the, this, you know, Satan was a liar from the beginning. If, if our tongue is set on fire by hell, that's one of the things that will come forth. That, that lying, that deceitful, that craftiness. Let's, let's look a few of these up. I haven't had you look too many up here. Psalm chapter 5. This is just a warning here to the wicked. Psalm 5, 6 says, Thou dost destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. 
God abhors the person of deceit and who, who speaks falsehood. And then if you would go on to Proverbs chapter 12, and uh, we're just picking out a few. Some of these categories you could, you could have many, many scriptures on. But Proverbs, and I do on the sheet, and the thing that I that Terry's going to send out, there'll there'll be many more references. But uh, Proverbs chapter twelve and verse twenty-two says, "Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight." So, lying lips an abomination, and then right there in Proverbs. The kind of speech that we want, that we should have, is speaking the truth in love. Not deceit, not crafty, but speaking the truth in love. Proverbs twelve, nineteen: Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. But truthful lips will be established forever. Think of that. And then, of course, the one I quoted already there in Ephesians chapter... Four, where he talks about speaking the truth in love. No longer be tossed about here and there by the waves and the trickery of men, the, you know, the deceitful scheming and speaking of other people. But what should our lives be? Well, we should be speaking the truth in love so that we can grow up into all, all aspects unto him. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then lastly, on this subject, we would turn to James. This is another verse we'll get to eventually, Lord willing, I'll say that, Lord willing, we'll get to this eventually. James says this, 5.12, above, but above all, I, I it's like, all right, don't miss this. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. What's he saying? He's, he's saying our, our words, our speech should be straightforward, honest. Straightforward and honest. Our yes is yes and our no is no. We'll talk about that more when we get to it. But he's talking about telling the truth and not being crafty and deceitful. Those are ten categories of speech. The kind forbidden and the kind required. In closing, I just want to say that James says no one can tame the tongue. That doesn't mean it can't be tamed. It just means you're not going to do it on your own. No one, I, I'd say it this way, no one can tame the tongue except God. And he works in a renewed heart to increasingly produce Christ-like speech. Christians may and will sometimes stumble in this area. That's what James says. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. In this area. But if they have authentic faith, that's what we're talking about, that's what the book's about. If you have authentic faith, you will repent and get up 
and keep looking to God to change your speech, to discipline and purify your tongue. So, if you drop the knife and something unwholesome comes out, you don't just say, well, that, that doesn't mean much. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe that came out, but there it was. And you ask God, take that away. So next time you drop the knife, you don't say something you shouldn't. The next time you get bumped, what comes out is some sweet honey, not some something brackish and bitter. All right.